Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday Bible Study, and I'm excited to get going on today's. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 6, and uh, we've been doing it. Right now, we've kind of been on pace to do two chapters a day. Uh, this one, I'm going to slow down a little bit, explain a little bit, because it's such a popular uh, look at Revelation, or, or it's it's well-known uh, part of Revelation. So I'm going to slow down and talk about it a little bit. Uh, today and then tomorrow we'll get into Revelation 7, maybe possibly even 8. And so um, we'll start looking at it that way. Um, and then just kind of as we go, I, I know that there's going to be some times and uh, that we're going to have to take a break. I know that we're they're going to we might be running out of uh, space. Uh, what I mean is episodes that I have free and available before we get into the book of Romans uh, as, as a church. And so I want to. Um, I want to try to get through as much of it as possible, and then I'm just going to try to get creative with how we can finish off the book of Revelation because the end is the, um, it's all good, but the end is is the is the part that I, I've always found most touching um, as I've read the book of Revelation. So uh, I'm excited to get through that. Um, I'm going to say hello real quick, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read through our passage and get our notes pulled up and start start going through everything so that I don't keep too long today. Ready? All right. Well, uh, real quick, just want to say hello and good afternoon to Christina. I think uh, I see you on there. I, there. There's more joining, and, and I can see the, the number up there at the top left corner. But uh, if you would just say hi real quick, that way I know you're watching, and that way I know that, that you've joined us today. Um, the comment feed is harder for me to see once I get into my notes. So um, as we go through these Bible studies, if you have something you want to say or something you want to let me know, or uh, and I would love more so that you just say hello and let me know that you're here. Uh, I will see those at the very beginning of the video and at the very end of the video. So at the very end um, is when I'll pop back over and look at questions. Um, and so if you've got any questions, make sure to put those in a comment feed. That way I can uh, answer those and tackle those as we go. Also, if you have any questions, I want to do a Q&A uh, version of this to where I get to answer your questions about Revelation. So. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that. I've not gotten any questions yet, so please, please, please fill, uh, send in your questions. You can email those to me at cread at the tree church, and uh, really, uh, I'll be excited to, to be able to, to try to answer your questions as best I'm able. Uh, just a reminder, I am not an, uh, a, an authority, I guess I should say, on the book of Revelation as far as it's like, I'm studying this as I go, I'm um, and I, and I am conferring to you information that I find beneficial and useful as I read it and understand it. So um, if, if you want to know that the couple of resources that I've been using to really fill and feed this, uh, to really fill and feed this, uh, this study, um, I'm going to point you to those resources again. It's uh, uh, Reverse Thunder by Eugene Peterson. And then the other one is Reading Revelation Responsibly by Dr. Michael Gorman. Uh, both of these books are um, amazing, and they're great read-throughs. So I've been kind of just uh, reading, studying, and, and breaking those down for you as we go. Now, some of the things I've changed up, some of the things that um, I don't mean I'm changing the content. What I mean is I've changed up the order and the the way that it's laid out, uh, specifically for the Bible study. Um, so, But uh, those are two resources that I use a lot. I love them. I, I, I'm finding them both informational and inspirational so as i'm reading it so 
if you get that reference, uh, I'll know you paid attention to the week, the message this weekend. So, all right, um, I'll say a quick hello, and then we're going to get going into the notes. All right, uh, hello to James study today. All right, so what's up? All right, so let's take, uh, say a prayer, and then we'll, we'll start reading. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for, again, the ability to read your word and to study what you've got to say to us, Lord God. I pray that as we, um, as we look at the problem of evil in our lives and the problem of evil in this world, I pray that you would lead us and guide us, show us uh, where we're guilty, and, and allow us to, um, like John, call, e call what is evil, evil, and, and allow us to, um, to respond and change and repent uh, where we find it in ourselves. And so, Lord God, I pray that, that you would lead us, that you would show us, and just help us understand what you're going to say to us today. And it's in your precious name. Amen. All right. So we're in Revelation chapter 6, and I'm going to read the passage to you here. So I heard one of the four living creatures call out, as with a voice of thunder, come. I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider had a bow. A crown was given to him, and out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature call out, come. It's bright red. Its rider was permitted I have to read down here. I'm sorry. Looking up there, I'm having a hard time reading it. Um, its writer was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature call out, or the third living creature call out, come. I looked, and there was a, a pair of scales in his hands, and I heard in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's pay, a three quarts of barley for a day's pay, but do not damage the olive oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal and I heard the voice of the fourth living creature call out, come. I looked and there was a pale green horse. Its rider's name was Death. and Hades followed him with him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill the, with sword, famine, and pestilence. And by the animals of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of the souls of those who had been slaughtered for the word of God and for the testimony they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will it be before you judge and avenge our blood on the inhabitants of the earth? They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number would be complete, both of their fellow servants and of their brothers and sisters who were soon to be killed as they themselves had been killed. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and there came a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig trees drop in winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll rolling itself up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth and the mount and the magnates which i have no idea what that word means but in the magnates and the generals it must be a military term of some sort and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hidden in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on a throne and from the wrath of the lamb as we get into this what we're going to be looking at is the seven seals i told you last week when we were looking at uh four and five 
there really has been a shift in the book where it becomes a lot more apocalyptic. It becomes um, a lot more kind of uh, imbued in, in symbolism and and it's got a lot of, of uh, weird things going to be happening. So um, we're to that place. <laughs> so if you didn't understand what we read, that's okay. We're going to try to break it down, read through it, and, and walk through it uh, one piece at a time here. So first and foremost, how should we view this chapter of Scripture? What, what is John trying to do with this passage? What is, the, what is he doing by saying that the Lamb is reading these scrolls? Eugene Peterson thinks that uh, they that this is actually a sermon that Jesus has given to to the the court. He's in more than just a sermon. It's uh, it's a sermon that's read by the Lamb who is worthy. We saw in chapter five, the Lamb was the one who was worthy to open the scroll, and so now the Lamb is reading that scroll, and so he is giving a sermon. But about what? What is he saying? Because there's a lot of weird things in there. Well. What he's talking about is history, and what he specifically he's talking about is history as conflict. History is war. Now, I think we could all say, we, we could all kind of verify that the life of a human, the life of, of history, has been filled with things like war and famine and pestilence and, and struggle and trial and, and death and decay, and, and we see in Scripture in Genesis, that, that life was not originally created to be that way. And, and so throughout the history of, of the world, this, however, though, with Genesis chapter three, we see that, um, that evil, though not, not born in Genesis chapter three, evil had its place given to the, had taken its place um, uh, among hu humans in Genesis chapter three. And so we see this history uh, of humanity as conflict and war. And, and think about even as you try to do your own everyday things, like you're, you're, um, you're living your own life, trying to be obedient to God, trying to do the things that are right. Is it not a battle inside of us? Do we not have to war with the flesh inside of us? That there's a piece of us that wants to, to be selfish and broken and, and then there's a piece of us that wants to, to honor God and follow after him. And so John comes on the scene and he says, all of history is, is, is kind of surrounded by the fact that there, there's evil present and there's conflict and there's war. And so John is going to address the role that evil plays in history. And so as John does this, uh, he, he's, he's kind of... Um, He's kind of just going to do that by painting a picture of, of these different um, ways in which evil has played out through history. He's going to give seven different examples of, of the way evil has played out in history. Um, but first and foremost, we have to come to the place that John always starts with the victory of Christ over evil. So John has kind of already set this up in the last few chapters. He's talked about how Christ, the Lamb, is the one who's worthy to read the scroll. He has won the victory. His blood has shed to redeem. And, and so there's already this idea that it, he is the one worthy of worship and worthy of praise, and he has overcome death and, and evil. And so as we walk into this sermon and this look at evil and the way that it plays out in our world, uh, we always have to keep in mind, 
history starts with Christ. He's Alpha. He is the one who uh, was before creation. He was firstborn among creation, as uh, Revel as uh, uh, the the passage uh, Colossians. Uh, sorry, it was escaping me. As Colossians kind of explains that he was firstborn among creation, and God actually created through him. And so, what we see is that Christ was first. And so, John is going to start with Christ. And so, as we open up the first seal, and and like I said. Jesus is is speaking this sermon in the heavenly throne room, and he's going to, it's going to be seven different seals that that he opens. The first seal that we have is a rider on a white horse. Now, I've got to be honest, as I read this in in Eugene Peterson's book, I never put this together that this is who this was. And and I think it's going to surprise you. The very first seal, the, uh, the person who rides on a white horse is none other than Jesus. Now, let me back up just a real quick second. He's on a horse because a horse is a a battle creature. It's not an ox. It's not a donkey. It's not any of these other creatures that were used for other purposes. In in the his, in the past, horses were um, bred for war and for for battle. And so um, that's why we see all these riders on horses. We see this idea of of war and battle kind of remember what I said, this is a, a sermon about um, war and in, in conflict. So, but Jesus is the one who sits on the white horse and he goes out to conquer and, and he goes out conquering and to conquer is the way that, that it's worded. And Jesus is the warrior. And here's the thing, like we, we picture Jesus as this meek and mild creature, but yet we're person <laughs> creature is not the right word, but He's this meek and mild person, and yet at the same time, Jesus is not, um, he does not shrink back from conflict. He does not shrink back from, from doing the things that his father calls him to do as far as being righteous and as far as desiring and fighting for the broken and downtrodden. And so we see Jesus, even as he was as a human, as a warrior, he, he was someone who went out and fought the battles. Now, we're also going to see him as victor. We see in Revelation chapter 19, we see him again on a horse. And, and, and something to keep in mind here. Remember, we're talking about symbolic imagery. We see him on a horse uh, soaked in blood, his robe dipped in blood, and, and victorious and, 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 and leading the armies of, of heaven. So he, is, he has won the battle, and he has already conquered. And so he goes out, his words go out, his gospel message goes out conquering and to conquer here's the thing with with this though christ does not create war he goes to war or he went to war and the way that he does this is different than the next seal that we're gonna see opened the way that jesus went to war is that he went to the cross everything with christ is the upside down kingdom where you think that god would come down from heaven with armies and with a with a with a sword but for Jesus the sword was the sword of his word the sword comes out of his mouth and and for Jesus the way that he conquered was through sacrifice and through love and through um, uh, selfless giving of himself and and that is modeled most on the cross that is how Jesus conquered he overcame sin and death not through a battle not through victory in a war where he fought with swords and with 
where he where he it smote the the Roman army, and it, it's not how he handled it. He overcame and he won the victory through the cross. And so the question that we have to wrestle with, and the question that John wants us to wrestle with, is this: Is did Christ's cross and resurrection work? Did the upside down victory work? Did is, did is Christ's humility and his love and his 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 self giving and his compassion was that enough to overcome the evil of this world? And that's the question that John really lays out before everyone who comes to the, comes to the um, comes to the book of Revelation. So Jesus is the rider on the white horse and the first seal of this sermon. Seal number two is the rider on the red horse. And this one is represented as war, which is a social evil. So this would be evil against each other. So when you think of war, what is it? We're, we're killing each other to get something that we want, whether it be nations that were armies, or even this can come into everyday lives where we um, where we step on someone else to get what, what we want. And so, <coughs> excuse me, as we're going to talk about, there's a, a subtle way of this plane of this evil playing out and there's an overt way of the of these evils playing out and so the rider on the red horse is, is war and in the passage in, in three and four say that they he comes and he takes peace he slaughters and he carries a sword and so this idea that that the that there's a um that he's killing these people um in, in this um in this imagery that that uh, John gives us in six, three, and four. And and here's what we need to keep in mind: we're always demeans and devalues humanity. And this is John's point here. John's kind of thrust in in putting war as one of the riders uh, of the of the apocalypse, it, what they're popularly called. Um, and so John conveys this idea that war always demeans and devalues humanity. The the overt way is that the conflict um, that that nations go to battle and, and people go to physical battle to get the things that they covet. And so we know that in the history, there's been lots and lots of wars. There, there, I mean, this, this century has been relatively quiet in the history of the world as to battle and to conquering and to um, overtaking other nations. And, and so we, um, actually, I would say for me, it was uh, Desert Storm in 1991, and then again um, in Iraq in 2003. Uh, those were some of the conflicts that, that my lifetime saw, um, but my grandparents, World War II, and, and my great-grandparents, World War I. And so there's, this, there, there's always this stirring in our, in our world and in our culture of battles and of, of of uh, war, where slaughter and death is, is is king, and it creates this peacelessness. Subtly, it's in in our everyday lives. It's any time that that we find demean and devalue another human being. And like I said, this can be stepping on someone else to get ahead in our career. This can be um, loving um, an idea so much so that we that we are willing to do something extreme like and, and and i would say this this like for lack of better example storming a, a government building um and so 
there there's a level of this that that plays out in our everyday life now not everybody is going to be part of something like that but it's 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 when we think that our way and our terms are best and we do everything we can even violence to to keep and to um to procure those things so you see this idea of covetousness in, in this then we get on to seal number three which is the rider on the black horse this represents famine and, and we can think of this as ecological and economic evil um we see in the passage, it talks about scales, and it talks about grain, so food. It also talks about olive oil and wine, which are, were luxury items in this time. And so um, what we see is this, this idea that there is, and, and one thing that you won't pick up on if you, if you don't know the, uh, kind of what the day's wage was back then, was that um, the, the, the measurements and the cost of, of what John quotes in there is barely enough. It's almost starvation level, uh, and it's a day's wage for starvation level. So the whole idea that that uh, that John's trying to pronounce here is this idea that people were not having enough to uh, to really live on, and so the Roman Empire really controlled the economy throughout this time. And oftentimes, a lot of the food would be taken and it would be used for the armies. And so the cost of, of grain and the cost of things would be driven up to the place where unless you were part of what Rome was doing, you, you could not get the grain. So it, it really dispossessed and oppressed a lot of people. And even the people that were growing the food could not afford the food or it cost them too much. And, and there really was not enough to live on yet what was protected and what was kind of overcome were the luxury items. And so um, necessity was often trumped by luxury. And so when we see then kind of how this plays out in our lives is, is not so much uh, that, that, that we are producing a crop that's being taken or it's costing us too much, but this is, um, this is when we're looking at a, a priority over luxury as opposed to necessity, if that makes sense. And I think I worded that I worded that backwards. Instead of prioritizing necessity, we prioritize luxury. And and then that that kind of compounds out into the poor and the, the more oppressed. And that usually plays out for them in a much harsher way than those who experience the luxury items. And so for for uh John, this is a critique of of the Roman economic system and it's a critique of of looking to luxury over necessity and and again i don't think that that i don't know that god is um saying that luxury items are a bad thing or john is saying luxury items are a bad thing it's always that luxury for some comes at the cost of others and i think that's the biggest thrust with with john and talking about the rider on the black horse and so we see this part in history where uh, famine, which was a big part of, of history over time, drought and famine. It's what drove the Israelites to Egypt initially with, with Jacob. It was, uh, it was a famine that caused them to go and to depend on the, the nation of Egypt, which eventually led them to slavery. Then we have uh, the seal number four, the rider on a green horse. Now, 
it, in the the passage actually calls it a pale green horse and in the um the imagery is almost like sickly and so like it represents this idea of sickness and death and, and we can look at it as like a biological evil we see things like pestilence and and famine and war all of these things really are are things that breed death and pestilence kind of represents the sickness side of it if you don't know what that means think about like plague and disease and 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 even like wild animals uh things like locusts and things like that Pl the the plagues think of the 10 commandments when you think pestilence so you can think plagues and pandemics um i mean we, we just live through something similar to this right so um we're still dealing with the the covid pandemic and so um this is something that's very real to us right now because we've experienced it in our lifetime but at the same time some of the choices that we make in our lives uh kind of feed into this level of evil a lot of chronic ailments and diseases are a result of of our environment and our lifestyle that we've chosen economics over health that we've chosen and you hear this is going to sound like i'm being a, a kind of uh um more earthly minded in, in in this in this moment but um it, it really does come down to this idea that it, we in in my uh friend and my cousin is a uh, farmer and he is looking for sustainable ways to raise chickens why is he doing that because we have so uh mechanized our food and we have so mechanized the 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 part of making of, of breeding chickens and making them for meat and eggs and stuff that it is detrimental to the environment it's detrimental to our lifestyle and so he is trying to counteract that by um sustainably raising chickens in in a way that is good for the environment good for the chickens and good for uh the humans that eat those chickens and so this is a look at our lifestyle and how we handle um our health and our uh, the, the the life the lives that we live it can be we trade physical exercise for convenience oftentimes and so like there's a whole lot of uh, a subtle ways that this kind of that this rider and this evil has played out on humanity and now the last two i kind of want to uh group together so there's seal number five and seal number six and these are uh really defined as a narrow evil and an indiscriminate evil and and um the first one, steel number five, is the narrow evil. And what we're looking at is the martyrs. We're looking at the faithful witnesses, the believers who were slaughtered for their faith. This would represent persecution. And so um, what we see the picture in, in the throne room is that the, the saints are under the altar and they're crying out for justice. They're crying out to, um, to have those that martyred them brought to justice and so and this is one of the promises of revelation is that that god will um judge those who part who took part in the the uh, persecution of his people uh, it's a promise actually that goes throughout the entirety of scripture and revelation just kind of plays it out um so what we see is seal number five is this evil that's done to the church itself and then seal number six is this indiscriminate it's not focused on one specific group. This is something that all humanity experiences, and that's natural catastrophes. Um, we would call natural disasters. So like earthquakes, hurricanes, um, tornadoes, uh, monsoons, 
Like all of these different things that we look at and we go, why did that happen? Because it wiped out villages and nations and, and, and it, 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 it altered. Like think about the hurricane that hit Louisiana some few years back. It altered life for a lot of people. It devastated a lot of people. It killed a lot of people. Natural catastrophes are a part of life and, and, and it's part of the world that we live in. And what we see here in this this moment is the idea that the evil is indiscriminate at times. It's not that just the um, those that go to war are are product or are are see the consequences of evil. It's not just that Christians who were persecuted uh, experience evil. It's not just that uh, those who have experienced famine uh, and, and those who have expand, experienced uh, poverty. Uh, it's not just those people who've experienced evil. All of creation has experienced evil. And so that's kind of John's takeaway with seal number six. Is, and, and it comes in these really like cryptic, apocalyptic like images, like the moon turns to blood, the sky rolls back. And he's using these, these ideas, uh, these very like, be, like pictures, these uh, descriptive pictures to really talk about these natural things that happen in the world where we go, why, why did that happen? And so John's look in, in chapter six is really a look at evil. And, and, he, and here's the thing. John's point and the takeaway for us for today is this, is that all evil needs to be addressed. We need to be aware of it. We need to know what it is. We need to know how to address it. It's part of our lives as human beings. It's part of our lives inside of us as well. And that's why, as the church, John calls us to two very specific things. John calls his churches to be both prophetic and repentant. If you remember the letters that he sent to the churches, he, he calls the churches to have a prophetic voice in the culture. And yet at the same time, he addressed the evil that, that filled their hearts and the, the ways that they had fallen short as well. And so as believers, we should be sitting at the forefront of looking at our world and looking at ourselves and going, this is wrong. This should not be happening. This shouldn't be uh, a part of the human condition. This is not what God calls us to. And at the same time, we need to be repentant of our own sin. We set and take part in the evil that is uh, in this culture. We have been guilty of it at times in our own lives. And so we need to walk that line where we call all evil evil, whether it be in the church or outside the church. And we be, and, and if we are in the church, we are repentant and we are returning to God and crying out to God and asking God to forgive us and to help us to live and to pursue uh, Jesus in a way and to live our lives in a way that, that represents him best. All right. And, and here's the thing that I, I want us to remember as we, as I kind of conclude this, um, Christ's victory, Christ's victory is always through selflessness, sacrifice, and love. Because the two questions that I'm going to ask you, th there can be a potential for um, seeing evil in culture and getting really self-righteous about it seeing evil in culture and being willing to 
call it out and even be aggressive towards the evil that we see in culture, and yet at the same time, not willing to address it in ourselves. Christ's victory was won through selflessness, sacrifice, and love. Our call to address evil is always through selflessness, sacrifice, and love. And so just want to keep that in mind as I ask these two questions for you to take away today. First, where do you recognize evil in and around you? And then second, what are you going to do to address it? Because we need to address both of it. If we see evil happening, we need to say that's not right. If we see evil happening in our lives, we need to say that's not right. And we need to address it. And so I, I actually got a chance to talk to my son a little bit about this kind of concept the other day. And, and it brought to mind uh, or the spirit brought to mind the passage where Jesus said, look at the log in your own eye before you pick out the splinter in your, your neighbor's eye. And, and that's always the heart and the mindset that we go to in um, when addressing evil. It's always that we recognize first that we are sinners and then we out of love because we love the person that we're talking to because we wish the best for them we're willing to enter into a conversation and say hey the way that you're going may not be the best way and, and i realize evil is a is a really hard word it's a it's a it's a it's as confronting as evil is in itself and and, and at times we often soften it but we need to call it for what it is it's not God's design. It's not God's purpose. And it's not God's hope for his people and his creation. And so we need to address it where it's at. And we need to address it in ourselves. And we need to be willing to call it out. And, to, and, and when I say call it out, I, again, you need to hear my heart. I'm not saying you stand on the corner and you call sinners sinners. And that's not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm saying is within the relationships that we live in, we need to be able to call it evil and we need to be able to um, address it in ourselves. Okay, all right. Um, I'm going to jump back over to. I'm going to jump back over to and see if you guys had any questions real quick. Um, all right. Uh, I see. I saw a couple more people joined us, but I don't see any more questions. So uh, I'm going to call it for today. That took about 30 minutes. Uh, hopefully, tomorrow's will be a little bit shorter, but. Um, these have been averaging about 30 minutes because we're taking such a big chunk of scripture and looking through them. So um, thank you so much for joining me today. Again, if you have questions, email me, cread at tree.church, or you can uh, get a hold of me on Facebook. I don't, I don't get on that as much, so, but, um, or you can email us at info at tree.church, whichever one of those is easiest for you to remember. Shoot me your questions. I would love to hear from you. And if it's been, if this has been a beneficial thing for you and you're loving it and you're enjoying it, um, let me know. I, I love to hear how God is using this study to impact your life and help you grow in your faith and, and walk with Christ. All right. Well, guys, I'll see you tomorrow and hope you have a great day.